Father, we thank you for the Lord Jesus Christ. It's because of him that we have people of all different places, races, locations, churches, ages, genders. We've come together here at this camp. And Lord, we want to leave, as we've heard already more than once, we want to leave different than we walked in here. And we need to stop and we need to think before we drive out a driveway or out of this town. We need to think about what have we learned and what are we going to do about what we have heard. And there's probably as many different decisions as people uh, in this room this morning. But help us, Lord. Help us, Lord, to be different than we came in here in a positive way. We pray this in Jesus' name and for Jesus' sake. Amen. Amen. Well, good morning, everybody. This is it, and my plan is to keep you uh, on schedule. In fact, I want to give you a gift this morning. I'm going to give you about 60 hours of time. I figure multiplying the number of people here times about five minutes. If I get done five minutes early, that'll save us 60 hours of time. Isn't that, that good? That's a week and a half of work. I work for $2,000 a week, so that's $3,000 worth of time. No, I'm just kidding you. But I, I'm going to give you about $3,000 worth of time here this morning. I think what I'm going to say, this is my opinion, but I think what I'm going to say this morning is one of the most important things that I could say to anybody, particularly a group of people like this. I have, and bear with me, this will make sense in a moment, I have a 2017 Buick Verano. Do you know what that is? It's a Chevy Cruze juiced up is what it is, okay? I have a 2017 Buick Verano that I lease. And uh, I chose that that was, in this case, it was the better option. I won't go into all the details. But nonetheless, my lease is up in about eight months. Well, for about a year now, the Buick people, the GM people, have been sending me reminders that my lease is up. Like in 20 months, my lease is up. But they send me all kinds of propaganda and information because they know this. It's easier to keep a customer than to go out and find a new one. Do you understand that? Do you understand that? It's easier to keep a customer than to go out and find a new one. So they do a lot, not just in advertising to reach new customers for their cars, but they spend a lot of money to keep the customers they have. Now, what's the application of that? The application of that is in church work. We spend a lot of money, and rightly so, in trying to reach new people, because that is the Great Commission. We spend a lot of our resources and time doing that. But in comparison to that, how much time, how many of our resources, how much of our money do we spend in keeping the customers that we already have? That's important, very, very important. Now, I say that because statistics have come out in the last probably five, six years that about 75 or 80% of our young people in our churches, Christian kids, when they graduate from high school, they go bye-bye. They don't come back to church. They go off to college or the military or some trade school or whatnot, and church doesn't mean that much to them or anything to them. Now, statistics also tell us that later on, maybe four or five years later, 
about a third of those people that leave find their way back into a church. But two-thirds of 80% of the people are, and you can figure out the, the numbers on that, they just don't come back. They don't come back. Maybe they come back in their old age, but they don't come back for a long, long time. Now, I know your churches do much to keep people. Uh, the Bible Institute that you have, uh, Living Faith Bible Institute, that's a way to keep people. Uh, you have discipleship. It's the way we keep people. We hook people up with one another and teach them and try to get them planted in the fellowship of the church. And those are good things. But I want to share with you this morning my message is connection. I want you to turn in your Bible to go to Acts chapter number 8. And um, when I still was a senior pastor, which was about three years ago, and actually before that, about three years before, so going back into about 2013, this really bothered me, that we were losing our young people. Our young people would graduate from high school, and then they were gone. So, well, they went to college, you know, they're in another city, but that wasn't necessarily true. I found out that a lot of the kids still stayed in the Rochester, general Rochester area, but they just chose not to attend church for whatever reason. That's a big problem. And from just talking with people here, that's a problem that you have. You have the same problem here. That's a problem everywhere. Well, how can we keep our customers, okay? If I can use that kind of marketing terminology. How do we keep our customers, and this is important. Now, I'm talking to a group of people that are very in, that's very influential in all of your churches. You are the people that are interested in learning and in doing something. So right now, I have an audience of aggressively interested customers and attenders of church that really want to have an answer to the question that I've asked. How are we going to keep these people around? And you are the people that have the energy and probably the interest to do just that. So I'm going to share some thoughts with you this morning about the subject of connection. Now, I'm going to give you a conclusion here before I really get into my message. So if at the end, because I said I'm going to give you five extra minutes, I just have to click through all my slides and go click, 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 there, my message is over, at least you know what I'm here to say. What are the essentials of retention? Now, I'm going to try to prove this for you as I go along. Here's the first thing that our young people are failing to grasp and one of the reasons why they leave. They do not know what they believe. We spend a lot of time in, rightly, I was, started out seven years as a youth pastor in activities and entertaining young people, giving young people good things to do to come to church and whatnot. But our young people, and I would say probably our adults too, don't really know what they believe. And worse than that, they don't know why they believe it if they do believe it. Now, those are two different subjects that would be taught in your Bible Institute. The first is, what do I believe? That's what we call systematic theology. And then, why do I believe it? That's what we call apologetics. Why do I believe what I believe? Why do I believe that God created the 
heavens and the earth. And you could say, well, I believe it because that's what Genesis chapter 1 verse 1 says. And that's good, but that, and that's right, and that's true. But for somebody coming in off the street that has no religious background and really leans towards agnosticism or atheism, that's not good enough to win them over to show them the first verse in the Bible. Now, that's what it says, but they may not even believe the Bible. They just think it's another book on a library shelf. So, young people need to know what they believe and why they believe it. The second thing is, people need to feel like they belong. They belong. There's new people here. I know there are, because I, the question was asked, how many of you, this is your first time to come to this? This may be your first time to come to anything that any of these churches have done. I wonder how many people have reached out to you to make you their friend. Some people are unlovely people. We kind of judge, look at people, and we decide whether or not we want to approach them and become their friend or not. And we just, for whatever it is that you use to evaluate people, you look at somebody and say, you know, I don't need to talk to them. I don't want to talk to them. So there's a lot of people, probably, and young people, in our youth departments, in our churches, and adults also, that never have been made to feel like they belong. They belong. Now, some people need more of that than others. And because of that, a lot of our young people, 80% of it in some polls, are walking away from our church. They just don't feel like they belong. So they join something else. They join a fraternity, or they join a gang, or they join the volunteer fire department, or what it is where they feel like, and people are making them feel like they belong. Here's the third thing. Young people are leaving because they have, are not experiencing that the cause of the church is really compelling. They see church as something different than what we would proclaim. Our responsibility is to go into all the world and preach the gospel. And sometimes we put so much emphasis on evangelism that we don't put enough emphasis on discipleship and teaching and keeping the people that we already have. It's easier to keep a person in church who's already coming and interested than going out on the street here and finding someone new to bring in next Sunday morning. Now, I didn't say we shouldn't do that. I'm just simply saying we need to spend our energies and our capital, part of our capital, making sure we keep the people that we already have and do that in a wise way. Here's a fourth thing. A fourth essential for retention is this. People need to feel like there's hope for the future and that they can make a difference. So they want to feel like you people that go to the mission field and you go on a trip with your church and you go into Malawi or you go to El Salvador or you go to any place and your pastor and your leaders get you involved. I don't care if you're a teenager or if you're my age, you get them involved and you show them that they can make a difference. So young people, this is something you ought to get in. When you're invited to get involved in something in your church, you need to get involved because you need to see, I don't care if you're 13 or 15 years of age, you need to see that you can be used and you can make a difference. We heard that just a few moments ago from the young man that was up here. Life isn't over for you. 
You can be used. You need to get involved, even if you graduated from Shepherd School in 1980. That's what I heard. And there's probably some people in here. So anyway, what I want to talk about is connection. So let's read together from Acts chapter 8. In verse 1, it says this. And Saul was consenting unto his death. That is Stephen, Acts chapter 7. And at that time, there was a great persecution against the church, which was at Jerusalem. And they were all scattered abroad throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles uh, and devout men carried Stephen to his burial and made great lamentation over him. As for Saul, he made havoc of the church, entering into every house and hailing men and women, committed them to prison. Therefore, they that were scattered abroad went everywhere preaching the word. Now, that was a God thing, by the way. Not that God is taking Saul and saying, I want you to pursue. But, you know, I'm not going to get into the the will of God and the free will of man and all that. But it was part of the plan overall to get the apostles out of Jerusalem to fulfill the Great Commission. They probably were hanging around Jerusalem a little bit too long. They were told to to preach to Jerusalem, to Judea, to Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the world. And we're in Acts chapter 8, and the apostles are still hanging around. I don't know if they're waiting for Jesus to come down and give them specific assignments to go to specific locations, but they're hanging around. But the persecution dispersed them. There was intense pressure on these people in the early church. Was there not? There was the pressure of the crucifixion and the death of their leader. A charge to take the message to the world. Do you think that was daunting to people living in those days that didn't have all of the communication devices and travel devices that we have? There was religious, there was cultural resistance, there was our, their own self-centeredness, there were threats and intimidation, and then there was executions. Stephen was just killed because he basically gave a history of the Old Testament and then pointed to Jesus Christ saying, he's a fulfillment of all that these prophets have said. Yet, listen, in the midst of all of that, the church grew with all of that resistance, with all that negativism, and not having the tools that are available to us to do the work, the church continued to grow. Isn't that a little bit embarrassing for us? But 10 times in the first five chapters, we read words that talk about unity and togetherness. For example, in chapter 1, verse 4, together, 1, 6, together, 1 accord, 1, 14, together, 1 accord, 1 accord, together, 1 heart, 1 soul, all things common, 1 accord, the 10th of these found in chapter 5, verse 12. In five chapters, we see the Holy Spirit of God emphasize for our benefit the importance of unity of people being together together, in sensing togetherness. The scripture doesn't casually mention this. This is an accidental. It repeats these words to plant the idea deep in the reader's mind to make the point how important it is to be connected and to be together. And we're not to leave people out of this. It's the whole group. 
Not just you and your two or three buddies that you get along with, maybe play football with or like to watch a program on TV or go to an amusement park or whatever it is that you like to do. Everybody's important in here to God. Everybody's important to the Holy Spirit of God. And we need, as Christian people, as we look at the body of our local churches, we need to realize that everybody is important and we don't need to sequester ourselves, uh, isolate ourselves from other people because I already have enough friends. I don't need any more. In fact, I'm pretty popular in the youth group, so I don't need any new friends. I've got eight, nine good friends. I've got three or four girls that, you know, like me and I can talk to. I don't need any more friends. And what happens is we fail to reach out then to other people. Unity is so important. In fact, unity is an attribute of God. Sowing discord is sinful because it's destructive in, in disunifying. It's contrary to an attribute of God. It's unholy. Do you understand that? Unity. In fact, Jesus prayed for unity in John chapter 17 for his people. So when we engage in activities that destroy unity, we're actually going against the prayers of Jesus Christ himself. Read John chapter 17, 11 through the end of the chapter, and you'll see that. Well, if all of these things that they had working against him, and the list is much longer, yet the church thrived, and at the end of chapter 7 into chapter 8, the church uh, was, in a sense, was dismembered, or it was, set, it was sent into the world because of persecution. They really should have done it because it was the commandment that was given to them, but God said, well, if you won't do it for the right reasons, we'll give you another reason to leave. Now, that, as I say, that wasn't necessarily a bad thing, but the question remains, who is it that, or what is it that kept them together in mind, heart, soul, and purpose? Now, one of our buzzwords, and when I originally preached this message, and it's been some time, one of the buzzwords, and I think it still is, I hear people use it, was the word connect or connection. We have a group in our church, it's called the Couples Connection, and it's intentionally put together. In fact, a couple of the pastors that are here spoke at that, to that group when they were in our church, Couples Connection. It's intentionally done to bring people together, young couples together, so they can get to meet one another and have some things in common and accomplish the very things that I'm speaking about here today. Couples Connection. The word connect is a word that really does not do the deepest meaning of the intent of the word justice. Now what I want to do is I want to kind of bring this out biblically to you. What is it? Think with me. Paul writes in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, he says, When I was a child, I spake as a child, I understood as a child, I thought as a child. But when I became a man, I put away childish things for now we see through a glass darkly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then shall I know even as I'm also known. And now abideth faith, hope, and charity. These three, but the greatest of these three is charity. Now I'm going to submit to you that there is a 
truth that goes beyond probably what most people just superficially read in verse 13 of that chapter. Because it's in these three things, in faith, in hope, and charity, I believe that connects people and keeps people together in our churches. So let's look at faith just for a moment. Faith represents our belief system, our philosophy of life, our worldview. We begin to connect when we are among people of like beliefs. That's one of the reasons you're here at this camp. You have a pretty general and good idea of what's going to happen here at this camp and what's going to be taught. So you've submitted, you've given your time and your money to come here to submit yourself to the teaching that would come. You have a pretty good idea what you're going to hear. Well, you know, people join the volunteer fire department or the bridge club or parents without partners or they have hobbies or they, they go to a certain school and pursue a certain discipline because they have some expectations there of what they're going to find when they get there. Anyone who loves the Lord and the Word of God will sense some kind of connection when they experience true worship and hear the pure Word of God preached in any kind of church. Doesn't matter what the name is on the door or on the sign, but when you hear the Word of God preached, you will begin to feel somewhat comfortable. I feel very comfortable here. And not just because I've been with this group of people many, many times, but the first time I came to Kansas City, Baptist Temple, to a college and career weekend, and I think it was 1978, I felt right at home because I knew I was among people of like beliefs. But let me ask you this. Do you really know what you believe? Have you ever been to the Living Faith Bible Institute? One of the main reasons why your churches have access to that Bible Institute is so you will know what you believe. That's systematic theology. But beyond that, why do you believe it? You get into discussion with an atheist who's pretty well schooled in atheism, that is, they deny pretty much everything that you believe. You get into discussion with that person, and they're going to ask you the why question, not just the what. Why do you believe what you believe? Why do you believe in God? Tell me. Now, what do you believe about Jesus? Why do you believe in God. By the way, when you, we go to the mission field and we go to a, a Hindu culture or a Buddhist culture or just an atheistic culture, you go to, to Europe where Brian is, is in Great Britain. You, gotta, you just can't say what I believe about the Bible. People are going to say, why? Why should I even believe this stuff? What's the answer to the question? You're going to learn the answers to questions like that when you submit yourself to a regimented education of Bible teaching like Living Faith Bible Institute. And if you don't do that, let me tell you what, you're a candidate for bye-bye because you really don't know what you believe or why you believe it. You like being part of this group? You better understand the doctrines and the truths that are the core beliefs of this group. That will help keep you engaged and involved. Do you see that? Here's a second thought, hope. 
Hope represents our destiny. Hope is positive. It's uplifting. It encourages. It builds. A positive, encouraging environment fosters connection. Christians enjoy a common destiny. When I believe, based on the word of God, which I believe, I believe that when I die, I'm going to heaven. I believe that. Now, many of you believe that. Maybe all of you believe that. But I have a great hope. I have a mother who's in heaven. I have a father who is in heaven. I have other relatives and church members and friends who are in heaven. I'm now, I'm much older than most people in here. And I'm probably going to get there before most of you. And as you get older, you know, that doesn't sound like a bad idea. When you're young, you're saying, you know, I can wait. I can wait 50 years. I'm not looking to die right now. But at this point in my life, it's not threatening to me. It's something that I ultimately, it's hope. Not only that, but broken people need hope. And this book, the gospel, brings hope to people. Hope to people. You need to have a ministry or be engaged in a ministry in your church. And churches need ministries like a pastoral care ministry that brings people hope. Maybe it's street people. Maybe it's drug addicts. Whatever it is. Maybe it's just young people who don't know what to think about life. They need some direction, some guidance, and some hope. And this book gives it. If you have hope for the future, if you have guidance and direction for the future, you'll be much more likely, you know where you get it from, the church that you attend and the book that's preached from that pulpit, you're much more likely to hang around there because the alternatives out there are very temporally focused. What can I get right now? It really doesn't matter if you'll end up in jail in two months or you'll end up Uh, DOA in an emergency ward in two months. The world's not concerned about all that stuff. But Christianity focuses on the future. In fact, the resurrection of Christ is the most important event that has ever happened in the history of mankind. If Christ died on the cross and he didn't rise from the dead, (laughs) what good would it be? His resurrection proves that he is who he claimed to be and that he has the power over life and that the life that he has and has the honor and he has the privilege and ability to give, he can give it to you. He can give it to you. There is hope for the future. So the gospel ministry provides hope. Negativism is repelling. Negativism destroys connection. People begin to connect with people who have common beliefs. They continue to connect with people who are positive, encouraging, focused on the wonder and the glory of divine promises, hopes, and relationships in Christianity for their life. Here's a third thought. Charity. Charity is the greatest of these. That's what 1 Corinthians chapter 13 says. It's the greatest of these. People begin to connect with those of common beliefs, common hopes, common dreams, promises, and a future. But the deal is sealed in charity. In charity. People connect when they sense that they are welcomed, that they are accepted, that they belong to the group. This is so important. The newest people in this 
auditorium in your churches need to feel like they're welcome. And you, you say, well, who are you pointing at? You. Everybody in here has a responsible to make people, people who are already there and people who are coming into your fellowship, make them feel like they belong. We weren't saved two weeks, my wife and I, and a couple in the church that I ended up pastoring invited us to come over for Sunday dinner after church. None of my friends invited me over to Sunday dinner before I was saved. They didn't. But these people said, why don't you come on over for dinner? They were much older than we were. We had a wonderful conversation. I thought, you know, they reached out to us and they did something charitably for us. No pretense. True biblical charity. Charity is perfect love. I cannot order you to love people and you cannot conjure up this love from within. It is the fruit of the Spirit. It can't be done pretentiously. The fruit of the Spirit, we know the first thing on the list in Galatians chapter 5 is love. People need to be loved. Let me say this too, and I won't emphasize it. People need to love. People need to love. You need to love. You need to love. It's part of you. God's created you so you have, to ha you have a need to love somebody else. Selfishness goes against that. And first of all, you need to love God. That's what worship is all about. I think I said this yesterday. My mission is love God, love people, serve others, tell everyone. Love God, love people. And I'm talking about loving people here this morning, but you won't until you truly love God. Colossians chapter 3 says, and above all things, put on charity, which is the bond of perfectness. Charity is the bond of perfectness. Now, I know you're not a Greek scholar, and neither am I, but the word that is used for bond in your King James Bible, the Greek word translated bond in the King James Bible, it means ligament or a tie together of joints in your body. Charity is the ligament that ties the body of Christ together. You understand the illustration of that? Charity ties us together. You can know what you believe and why, and you can actually have hope for the future and say, you know, when I die, I'm going to go to heaven. Jesus is going to make it all right. But the deal is sealed when we feel connected to one another. The ligament of the church is charity. It ties the bones and the muscles and the tendons and all the pieces and all the parts of the body together. That's what charity does. So if it, it, you can, you can uh, be brilliant scripturally. You can say, I've got my hope. By the way, I can teach the book of Revelation. I'll tell you about hope. I can take you through 22 chapters in Revelation and tell you what our hope is all about. I really understand that. But if you don't have charity, Paul said something like, I'm a tinkling cymbal and a sounding brass. Do you understand why he said that? Because you can have, you can have faith and you can have hope. But if you don't have charity... You're just tinkling brass. You're a sounding cymbal. See, charity, 
ties the church together. Charity, genuine love, ties the new people back into your church fellowship. True love, true love. True love isn't I'll love you if you love me. That's human love. True love is I love you because God loves you. Love God, then we love people. Then we serve others and we tell everyone. Now the enemies of charity are many. And they're listed in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. And you can see them on the screen there. I'm not going to belabor the point just for for time's sake. But don't misunderstand though. Charity is not simply avoiding certain negative attitudes in the last list or behaviors. It is engaging in certain positive attitudes and behaviors. It's not reactive. It is proactive. You have to make yourself... Be loving, because it isn't natural for us to be loving. It's divine. It's the fruit of the Spirit to love other people. And I need to be filled with the Spirit of God to love people or to be charitable to other people the way I should so that the ligaments tie the body together. If you are an un... You, again, you may be brilliant biblically. You know what you believe and why you believe it. And you may have the hope of eternal life and you can take the book of Revelation and every prophetical passage in the Bible and you can... You can Lay it out there for us to understand. But if you are not a charitable person, and you have to do this proactively, if you're not a charitable person, your church will be a weak church. You're going to blow your ACL, your spiritual MCL, your ligaments, your tendons. They're going to be torn apart, and your church will ultimately be torn apart. We need to connect. In any event, though, uh, here's a little illustration that I, I, I can go back to. I'm watching my time carefully here. Years ago, I was visiting a guy in the hospital, and he was a church member, you know, and I went to visit him. And uh, instead of saying to me, thank you, Pastor, boy, thanks for coming out and coming down, this is what he said to me. Long story short. He said, Pastor, you know, no one sent me a card. No one sent me a get well card from the church. Now, I heard enough criticism about our church, and I violated. You know the principles on Monday, those H's? I decided it's time to violate those principles right now. So I knew this guy, and he should have known better to say some stupid thing like that. Here I am in, in the hospital, and no one sent me a card. What am I, chopped liver? I'm the pastor of the church. I'm visiting you. I came here to see how you're doing. It's, doesn't that help at all? Well, no one sent me a card. So this is how I responded to him. I said, let me ask you a question. When's the last time you sent somebody a card? He couldn't answer the question. He couldn't remember. In fact, he probably never did. We start feeling sorry for ourselves, but the guy still is right in a sense. Don't get me wrong. That's why I violated a few principles saying that. But yes, I kind of threw it back in his face. Maybe that was unkind of me. But I made my point. It's his responsibility to send cards too. It's his responsibility to visit people, the sick, 
the infirmed, people who are in jails. Now, I can't visit everybody that's there, but I can do something. And if everybody in a group of people like this does something, you'll tie your church together. You'll keep the people you've got. You won't have to run down the street corner and look for somebody new to replace the guy that left last Sunday. Because he didn't know what he believed. He didn't feel like he belonged. He wasn't helped when he needed help. That didn't happen to him. He wasn't loved. He didn't feel like he belonged for whatever reason. So now we bring a new person in to make them feel like they don't belong. That doesn't sound like a smart idea. So this guy, this guy had the same faith I had, the same hope, but there was no connection. By this shall all men know that you're my disciples, that you have love one for another. Love one for another. That's a commandment. The only way lost people can tell true Christianity is through the love that you and I have for one another. Well, by this shall all men know that you're my disciples if you carry a King James Bible. By this shall all men know that you're my disciple if you tithe. By this shall all men know that you're my disciple if you're a street preacher. By none of those things are in the Bible. By this, by this, loving one another, that's true Christianity. True love for one another. And that's the connective tissue of the body. And I charge you with that today on the authority of the Bible. Walk out of here knowing what you believe or with the intention to know what you believe. Get involved in Bible study, in Bible Institute, somewhere to learn the Bible so God can use you and you're not a dummy all your life. And you don't bail out in two or three years because you, you, know, you just don't get it all. And I could go through the whole list of things there, but you say, time-wise, I'm down to five minutes. Let me see my next slide. Instead of looking at my, people will connect an environment of common beliefs, shared dreams and hopes and destinations while being bathed in the connective tissue of love. This is the point at which people feel that they belong. First Peter says, above all things, above all things. I wonder what that means. Probably means above all things. Have fervent charity among yourselves. Listen, folks, this is something we have to work at. This is not a natural thing. This is the fruit of the Holy Spirit of God. And I believe we get filled by the Holy Spirit of God by being filled with the Word of God. And we get filled with the Word of God when we get interested in reading and studying the Word of God and letting the Word of God infiltrate and, and, and totally saturate our mind. Then the love of God comes through us. Not George Grace's love, but the love of God comes through me. And that's the connective tissue that keeps the church together. That's why that early church, in spite of all the persecution, in spite of all that went on, they stayed together because they had the love of of God. Next slide. Christian, no, leave that one. Christian love is the fruit of the Spirit filled life. We can know a lot of theology, have a deep and abiding hope in the promises, but without love, we're merely, merely a sounding brass and tinkling cymbal. One more. Give me the next slide if there's any more. I think I finished them. That's it. All right. I know what I'm telling you is true. Here's one more thing. I said three things faith, hope, and charity. The fourth thing is this that matches the four things that I said in the beginning of the message here. We have to have meaning and purpose in our lives. 
We have to be part of a cause that's greater than ourselves. That's what the gospel ministry is all about. The gospel ministry deserves to have your investment in it. Your time, your money, all of your gifts, and all of your talents. We read that over and over in Scripture. You are not wasting your time here. This may be some of the best spent time that you have spent all year long by being here, particularly if you walk out the door and take something important with you, something that's meaning. Love God. We've heard that, Brother Mark. Love God. We've heard that from Dan Renault. We've heard that. Love God. Love people. Serve others out of that love. And then tell everyone. Tell everyone. But it must be done in that order. If you try to do it any other way, you'll get burnt out. And bye-bye. Bye-bye. You'll be among the statistics that leave the church and go to the volunteer fire department looking for fellowship and meaning in life. Let's bow our heads for prayer. Would you do that with me, Father? We are grateful and thankful for Jesus Christ. We're thankful for your word. We're thankful for these truths in scripture. And Lord, it, again, I thank you for the privilege and opportunity to meet with these folks, to be part of this. And I hope that I have encouraged them this morning. This is simple. I know, as I look back, if I were to start a church right now, this is what I would do. I know this is a little more preaching in my prayer, but I'm going to preach a little bit here, just for a second. What I would do is I would have a pastor who was a pastor of apologetics that made sure my people knew what they believed and why they believe it. I would have a pastor of koinonia, of fellowship, that made everybody feel like they belong in that church. I would have a pastoral care pastor that gave everybody hope. I don't care how broken they were, gave hope. And then I would have a pastor who is an evangelist who realized that we're in the cause, greatest cause in all the world, to go into all the world and preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. I would have those four people as my lead people in my church covering these things that I believe will not only reach people, but will keep the people in my fellowship, in my local body. In Jesus' name I pray these things. Amen. Amen.